proclaim our declaration of the Word of God. So let's just say this with me. This is my Bible. Read it with me. It came from the breath of God. It is His holy Word spoken to me. It is the wisdom of God revealed to me. I reign in life by its kingdom revelations. I am everything it says I am. I can do everything it says I can do. It is a guide to my life. It lights up the pathway I walk. It is absolute truth. It brings life. Can we say amen? Yes, yes. Okay, please be seated. We're going to have worship, so don't fear. I told Pastor Dan, we always hear, well, let worship prepare your heart for the word. I said, and I was coming to church, uh, I think one morning, whatever morning it was, and, and I just felt in my spirit, why don't you let the word prepare your heart for worship? And so I said, okay, let's try that. Let's let the word prepare a heart for worship. And as we come into, it's not, worship is not a song service. We all know that, right? Worship is not a song service. Worship is a life that's 100% committed and dedicated to the Lord Jesus. That's how we worship God. And so last week we talked about the authority of the believer. Today I want to talk about the authority of the church. Not in the church, but of the church. Okay? So when we talk about authority, what do we usually think about? Pastors and leaders and, you know, how they're supposed to do this and how they're supposed to do that. And, you know, we talk a lot around here about church. And I said, I think we've gotten ourselves into this big box called church and we don't know how to get out of it. Because the big box we're in isn't working. Now, some people might disagree with that. Does it work to some degree? Yes, it does. God has to work with what we give him, right? <laughs> but it's not the best results, I don't believe. So but when we talk about authority in the church, we're talking about the pastors and the apostles and the prophets and all of that. Or we think about women in leadership. Should women be in leadership? You know, aren't you so tired of that old, that old beat dog that <laughs> we've worn out with it? Or should people wear pants? Or should they wear rings? Or should they wear jewelry? We get so, we get so caught up in all this stuff that means nothing at the end of the day. Has no meaning whatsoever. So what do I mean when I say I'm speaking about the authority of the church? I'm speaking of the church as a living, breathing authority. And as a real and ordained authority in our city and in our nation. And our church possesses spiritual authority only if Jesus is the Lord of the church. Only, And that's what we really want to focus on. If, Jesus, if there's a lot of churches Jesus is not the Lord of, and I'm going to show you in just a few minutes. So the presence of the church means nothing unless it's operating God's ordained authority. The church, the, the purpose of the church, will, the presence of the church in a city will not accomplish anything unless it's operating under God's ordained authority. Now we can have lots of cookouts. They can have VBSs. People can even come in and be saved. But they, are they going to have testimonies like Wayne has? Are they going to have testimonies when you know you can wake up in the middle of the night and you can tear down powers of darkness that are coming against you? I asked him to give another testimony, but he wouldn't do it. Are you going to do it? Okay, I want him to tell you what happened. This was just very recent, like 10 o'clock last night. (laughs) It's important to know who we are in Christ. I knew you were going to do that, so. Well, I payback is sweet. (laughs) I'll give the uh, semi-abbreviated version, but it's important to hear some details. For the last seven months, I've been on Monthly, weekly, daily deadlines, and especially in building our psychiatric practice, has taken everything I could put into it. More than I ever envisioned. Uh, I've been physically and mentally exhausted. Uh, then the last month, from early July to last Thursday at 3 o'clock, I've been focused on federal contracts and grants. 
and it literally sucked the life out of me. There was nothing left. At 3 o'clock when I submitted the last piece of paper, I felt like a load had just left me. And even Donna says she felt that same release on Friday, and she wasn't even doing it just because of what we were, what I was going through. It had, I guess, carried over to her. So it's been a very tiring, emotional seven months for me. Still praying, still worshiping God, still loving God, but it took its toll. So Friday I took off, even though we had our friends in from D.C., we took off and just relaxed. It was a good day. We went out and had, we celebrated Thursday and uh, just had a good day. Saturday morning I woke up, I was physically exhausted. I could hardly, I could hardly move around. I, uh, I just, I laid down, I laid on the bed some, I went downstairs and pulled back the recliner and just relaxed. We went to lunch, but I didn't eat much, tired. I felt all day heavy, weight. I felt, I, I told Donna last night, there were several times yesterday I got really concerned physically. I literally thought a few times we need to call 911 or go to the ER. Something is wrong with me. Uh, this may not be understood, but I couldn't pray yesterday. If you haven't been there, hope and pray to God you never do. But I could not do anything yesterday. I was, I was being attacked with fear. I was being attacked with, I was, it was the weightiness inside of my head. All through my body, I felt like I was, I was wound up internally so tight I was about to implode and blow up. I knew something was wrong. So I went through this all day. Last night about nine o'clock, I finally told Donna, I said, this is not, this is, this is not good. Something's going on. And, uh, and I told her what had happened. As a matter of fact, before we went to bed, I, I pulled my slacks off and I was taking them in the other room. I was so weak. I drug my slacks on the floor to the other room. I couldn't lift my arm up. I was so tired. So, so I lay down and all I know is I, I told, I woke Donna had fallen asleep and I woke her up and I said, there was a sliver in the atmosphere that opened up last night about nine 30, just a small sliver. And inside that I heard in my spirit, it's the spirit of what was the torment. word? It was the spirit of torment on you. And I literally stopped and prayed. And I, in the name of Jesus, I commanded that spirit of torment to leave my body, to leave our bedroom. In the name of Jesus, I commanded it to leave. Instantly, and it was dark, I, I felt it leave my body. And some of the weight lifted. But I didn't see this, but I did in the spirit realm. Above in our, our bedroom in the ceiling, the spirit was hovering. And I knew it was. And I said, oh, no. I said, in the name of Jesus, you must leave our bedroom. You must leave our house. You must leave our property. You're not, you're not allowed to cross that perimeter ever again, you spirit of torment. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. And now, instantly, it evaporated. Instantly, all the weight all the oppression, all the heaviness, that feeling inside that I was going to implode, literally blow up, gone in a split second. I woke Donna up and told her, and we were, of course, we were shouting. But to go from a position of total physical and mental exhaustion to in seconds, 
I was great. I felt relaxed, well, healthy, whole. Woke up this morning, phenomenal. It was gone. But see, that's taking authority over the enemy. And it was such an oppressive attack, I couldn't think. I couldn't process. I couldn't call out. A couple of times I was upstairs and I literally now, I thought, I'm, I need to go downstairs where Donna is because something bad could happen. I'm afraid I can't call out to her. That's how bad it was. That's what the attack of the enemy is. And you said something very profound when, when I shared this with you. You said this was preparation for what's coming. The attack of the enemy. A lesson, a lesson, a lesson. we need to learn. But the other thing we said was, how does the enemy get there? And, we, you know, the devil is walking around looking for a way to come in. And many times it's not we're in blatant sin. It's that we don't, we don't take time for our bodies. We don't take time to rest. We don't take those Sabbaths that we should be taking. And what are we doing? We're opening ourselves up as a target for the enemy when we, may, you know, if, if, you know, we could die and go to heaven, but it's not our point in time. And so these spirits are looking for ways to come into our life. So that was another very important lesson that regardless of with everything we have going on and everything you guys have going on, make sure you take time for yourself because the enemy will come in and he'll steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. He saw a little opening. He wants to, he wants to, it'll come through grief. The, The other thing too is that we said, you know, he works, he was working lately around a lot of people with major depressive disorder and that's a spirit. You know, you put on a garment of praise. And the one thing we said when when this broke, I said, we've got to seal this with praise. And we just began to praise God, to seal this with praise. And and so he, I said, we have to make sure, too, when you're working with, especially some of you that's done mission work and that kind of thing, you will understand when you come back, you basically need to debrief. You need to get all that stuff off of you. And, and so if you're around a lot of a toxic environment like that, you need to make sure you take time for yourself. But in all of that, we have authority. That thing wasn't going to leave until we took authority over it. We have spiritual authority. And that kind of goes with last week's lesson. But if you're struggling with something, especially an emotional disorder, there's physiological reasons, but most of the time it's not that. We can, we can work through these things because he reveals these things to heal these things in our life. And holy, the power of Jesus is, is greater than any sickness, any problem, any emotional distress. The, the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. And that's what we have to understand. So, and that's what we want to talk about. So the scripture tells us that all authority is given by God. But as we said last week, not all people who sit in places of authority are God ordained. We know that. We know when authority has been usurped. We see it all in the Old Testament. We see this with kings and taking positions they should not have had. We've seen it in our own life where government officials have stolen elections and all over the world, not just in our nation, but it's happened here more than once. That's illegitimate authority. God never works through illegitimate authority. And how do you know if it's illegitimate? You look at its fruit. You look at the fruit of illegitimate authority. It always looks the same. It's not going to be anywhere consistent with what the Word of God says. Righteousness, peace, and joy. When you have illegitimate authority, I know Barbara Wintrouble says you can always tell when there's a certain spirit. I think it was, well, I've forgotten which one it was, and I don't really want to even say it, but it was a religion, rules a nation. She says one of the first things they do is they'll put women in oppression. That's one of the first things they do. And then there's poverty that comes to the nation. And you look and you see nation after nation after nation, and you'll see this happening. 
So in, so we have to understand that authority is delegated. And we, we talked about this last week. I don't want to go through this again, but, but all authority is required to submit to a higher authority. And there's no higher authority than God in his word. And that includes the church. So what do we have to understand about the authority of the church? We go back to the place of first mention in the New Testament. It's called the law of first mention. We know what that is. We talk about that. We go back and we look at the scripture. We'll know what God thinks about something. If you want to know what he thinks about your, your call and your, your purpose in life, go back to Genesis chapter 1. He's going to tell you when he created man what he thinks of you. And he barocked you. He blessed you. He prospered you. He wants you to take dominion. He wants you to take authority and rule and reign in life. That's what it tells us. We also see that if we look at the family unit, the marriage was a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, right? That's God's intention for marriage, regardless of what it has evolved to. So we look at the church and we'll see what is the biblical antecedent of the church. And we see that it's an antecedent of power and and authority. In Matthew 16, 16 and 18, Jesus had asked uh, the disciples, what do people say about me? What do people say? Who are they saying that I am? And Peter replied, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we're going to talk about this in more detail, but I just want to give you this quick scripture. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This is a major revelation missing in the churches today, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Too many churches believe that he's just another good teacher, just another prophet. He really is not living in, 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 you know, acting in the church today. And then he goes on to say, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. You're on this rock. I will build. And on this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we see that and that word prevail means to overpower, to be dominant over. So he's saying, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. We've done so much teaching on this, and, and I'm going to touch a little bit on some things we've talked about in the past, but it's very important to keep this in mind. So that is the power aspect of the church. And then in, in Ephesians 1, Jesus is the source of authority for the church. So God has put all things under the authority of Christ. All things. What's outside of all things? No thing. There's no thing outside of all things. And has made him head over all the things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. And it is full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So this is telling us that the church, and that word church, we know about this, and I'll talk about it more in a minute. It's not really the word church. That word didn't even exist during this time. It's ecclesia. We know this. So Jesus is saying that his ecclesia will overpower the forces of hell and that his church has he at the top. As the main authority, the primary, the only authority. So the problem with the church as we know it today is that Jesus really is not in authority in many cases. In many cases. And I believe he's become a figurehead in many cases. And so I did a little research yesterday and I was just thinking about the Queen of England. And I thought, is Jesus no more than the Queen of England? In the churches, so I thought, well, let's just see what the Queen of England, what kind of power and authority she has. So this is in April the 9th, 2021, BBC News. Concerning the royal family of England, this is so, I told Terry, I said, this is so ironic the way this parallels. What does the royal family do? The British government has called Her Majesty's government, but the Queen has almost no political power. The Queen meets with the Prime Minister once a week. Parallel, parallel, parallel. 
Church, church, church meets once a week, 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 right? So the prime minister, the queen meets with the prime minister once a week as a reminder of her place in the government. But the prime minister doesn't seek her approval for any of his decisions. I thought, how ironic, how much of a parallel is this with the church? The church comes together once a week, maybe just to, just so we can realize that oh, Jesus is still around. But do we ever seek him for any of our decisions? I'm talking about the church at large now. But this is the same thing true in our own personal life. We meet weekly with our head as a reminder of his role in our church, but we don't really seek his approval on some of the things that we do. So who really is in charge? Well, let me just do I just did some more research. And this came out of Pew Research and several others. Who really decides the moral standards of the church? Now, you have to decide if this is for you as well as for the church at large. Now, we know it impact what our moral standards are. If you're part of our church, you've been given a sheet of what we believe our moral standards are, what they are, what they're to be. But this through research in recent years, a broader acceptance or tolerance of immoral behavior is seen among those who call themselves Christians. 54% of U.S. churches allow openly gay or lesbian couples to hold full-fledged memberships, an increase of 70% compared to just 12 years ago. wonder what Jesus would say. Now, Jesus died for all these people, right? He died for all the people, everybody. You know, and I was reading a little flyer where our illustrious uh, library is having this, this day where they're going to celebrate all this, and it says, I was born this way at the top. I was born this way. And I always go back to what I, the Lord told me many years ago. He said, yeah, you were born a liar, a cheat, a thief, and a murderer, but God delivered you from it. There are people that are born with certain tendencies, but that doesn't mean we have to, we have to demand that Jesus accept them. I can come in here and say, I was born a thief and a cheat. I'm okay. Let me, let me be the pastor of your church. I was born this way. No, God delivered me from that. He delivered us from that. 34% of evangelicals believe abortion is morally acceptable if it spares the mother financial or emotional stress. I believe it's higher than that, actually. That's evangelicals. 71% of Americans see nothing wrong with having sex before marriage. Two-thirds, 62% of Americans aged 18 to 35 doubt the existence of God. Two-thirds, 18 to 35. So who decides the moral standards when we have churches in our nation that are accepting all of these things? They're, they're, you know, they're ordaining people that are living, obviously, in sin, open sin. Now you say, well, does anybody not sin? Well, we have, if we stumble, if we sin, we go to the Lord and we ask, we repent. That's what repentance is all about. But open the sin and where God it says you've never known me is when you're comfortable in your sinning and you don't see anything wrong with it. I sat with a young man a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about pornography, which has gotten him into a lot of trouble. And, oh, yeah, child porn's horrible. It's not, but what about adult porn? Oh, there's nothing wrong with adult porn. Don't you realize that led you to child porn? You know, so we don't see. But it's what our minds have been conditioned by the way, we're going to be starting something called the Conqueror Series. And it's for any male that, that, whether you've struggled with it or just have young boys or teenagers, we want you to be a part of that and see what's really, you know, what the facts are about what pornography does to your body, to your brain, to your soul, to your spirit. It's, it's straight out of the pit of hell. It's one of the hardest addictions to break. Number two, who decides the value of the Word of God? The Bible is no longer considered authoritative by many church leaders. Only half of America's pastors have a biblical worldview. Only half of the American pastors, based on this research, have a biblical worldview. What do they, they go out and they, they question thousands of pastors and they ask them about their point of view on things. 
51% of everybody standing behind a pulpit really doesn't, or 49% really does not believe in a biblical worldview, which means they're going to be teaching anything they want to teach. Less than 10% of sermons preached in evangelical churches even mention hell, sin, salvation, or heaven. I was thinking about this. When John the Baptist came, what did he say? Repent. When Jesus came, what did he say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Paul and the disciples went into the Gentile nations. They were telling them to repent. And he was even telling the churches, you better straighten up and get rid of the sin in your life. Right? So repentance is a good thing. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Number three, who decides the importance of community gathering together? Listen to this. Regular church attendance has dropped from 70% of our population in 1960 to just 20%. Regular church attendance from 70% to 20%. And now 28% of those who were regular church attenders pre-COVID have not attended in person or watched an online service even one time. Even one time. So who's determining that church is important when it says don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together? So I want to ask this. Is Jesus really in charge? Is Jesus, I want to ask if he's in charge of your life. See, we can't quote and take spiritual, can't take that thing of spiritual authority and say, I'm, you know, I've got spiritual authority over this devil that's trying to torment me if there's sin in our life. And sin can be greed, it can be jealousy, it can be lust, it can be lying, cheating, stealing, it can be so many other things. We had somebody recently do some work in our house and the first thing they said was, I only take cash. Well, dumb me, I thought, well, why is that? And he said, well, you know, I've had so many people, their checks, and I said, our checks don't bounce. And then uh, several other people said, no, he's getting paid under the table. This is a person who's supposed to be a strong believer. So I wrote him a check, and it cleared. (laughs) So the shock factor is, if Jesus is not in charge, there's no legitimate authority for the church to operate in today's world. If Jesus isn't in charge, there's no legitimate authority. So when we have all these churches sitting on in the you know square blocks of square mile of Concord City, and we've got all this junk going on in our city, and our library's having this gay pride day, we've got bars popping up everywhere. Nightlife is the thing that's drawing people in. We got all this stuff going on, all the immorality and it's going on. All the homosexuality is being taught and perpetrated in school in our school system. If there's nobody in legitimate authority in the church, what is what is our city to do? Let me tell you, somebody's always going to be an authority. Somebody will always be an authority. And if it's not legitimate authority, it'll be illegitimate authority. Ephesians 1, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things, what? For the benefit of the church. Jesus is over all the powers and principalities for our benefit as a church. And the church is his body, is full and complete in him. If any church, any denomination, any gathering or group that is operating in the earth as the church is not operating under the authority of Christ, is under illegitimate authority. I asked the Lord this morning, I woke up and I said, Lord, what is the church? And he said, where any two gather in my name is ecclesia. Where any two gather in my name is ecclesia. That means when Lori has her thing in her house with the ladies, that's ecclesia. Because they're gathering. They, they might just be eating quiche and salad. I don't know. Talking about their grandchildren. But it's ecclesia because they're meeting in the name of Jesus. They're praying. They're seeking God. If the word of Christ, the Bible, does not govern the activities of the church, it is operating under illeg- illegitimate authority. If I'm saying, telling you I don't think that this is really that accurate, what is my authority base? I don't know what to... I mean, if this, if this doesn't work, what do we have left? 
What are we using? What's guiding our life? The word is light to my path. You know, it tells us in Deuteronomy, it says it's not a trifle thing. It says it's your very life. The real church only operates under the authority of Christ. It only operates under the authority of Christ. So what does illegitimate authority look like? They support immoral lifestyles. They live without integrity. They cheat. They lie. They gossip. They project hatred, prejudice, and unforgiveness. They embrace world culture, homosexuality, abortion, convenience. They refuse and excuse the need for repentance. And they grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what illegitimate authority will look like. Let's go back to Matthew 16, the authoritative church, Ecclesia. I'm going to read this one more time. I'm going to emphasize some portions of this. But again, Jesus had asked, who do they say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You can't get it taught. It has to be caught. It has to be caught. Your heart has to receive that, that word. The Holy Spirit has to life this word before it can become a reality to us, to revelation to us. And he said, Peter, I, this is a revelation. I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia. His church is built on the truth of the revelation of who he is and any other revelation of who Christ is is illegitimate authority. Ecclesia means ruling council. Now, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but in that first century Rome, ecclesia was a well-known ruling governmental term. And it meant a council with authority. This is what the ecclesia did. They established policies, legislate, they legislated a, a laws, they conferred or denied citizenship, and to it they elected officials. This is what ecclesia meant. This is why Jesus very carefully chose. He could have said, I'm going to build my synagogue. I'm going to build my temple. He didn't say that. He said, I'm building my ecclesia. He said, I'm giving you the right. I'm giving you the authority as a ruling governmental council to go out into the world and legislate my will in the earth. And what is our will? It's a kingdom mandate. He has delegated us as his authority in heaven to be used here on earth. So the true church is built on this, this revelation of Christ, but it's also that we have to understand that, that we have an intentional purpose in life as a church, and that is to go out and to legislate the, the kingdom will of God in the earth, in our city. It is not God's kingdom will for things to be going on that's going on in Concord. Now, that doesn't mean we go out and march and we riot and we burn down buildings. That's not what we do. All we have to do is pray, unless he tells us something different. He might tell you to run for a county office. He might tell you to run for mayor. But we don't go out and we don't break laws and we don't hurt people and we don't call people bad names. But we do stand for what is right. And then in verse 18, he says, Now I'm telling you, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus' ecclesia has been commissioned to challenge the powers of hell so that the kingdom of of, of the earth will become the kingdom of God and his Christ. We have been commissioned to challenge these powers just like I think this was, I told Terry this was a great show and tell for my message today, what he experienced last night. He had an opportunity to counter that power. He could have just said, wow, this is rough. I need to go to the ER. They would have given him a pill of some kind, right? Put him in some kind of, maybe on a mental ward. I don't know what they would have done. Maybe that would have been a good thing for a day or two. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let me tell you though, When you start answering the call of God, you better be equipped for what the enemy is going to come after you with. When you start answering the call of God, when you're making it, if you're not making a difference, don't worry, he's not coming after you. Why waste his time and energy? 
But when you start to make a decision that I'm going to expand the kingdom of God in my home, in my business, in my church, in my city, we have ladies that are walking up and down the streets on Tuesday mornings praying for the city. We're getting ready to start Pray America. Pastor Zach and Pastor Dan have been meeting with some people. We're going to be doing that. Picking out neighbor. What was it? Friday night we went to the school building, the uh, the county school building down off Airport Road, and we and we prayed around that building because there's a very important meeting coming up tomorrow, August 9th, 5.30, 6.30, somewhere along there. We need to be in prayer about that. Very important meeting because remember last year, when was it last year we had the elections? And one of the things I said, the school board is one of the most important boards in this county because it's going to, it's going to control what our children see and hear. And it's already starting. It's already starting. And there's a battle that's taking place. And we as believers, we need to exercise our authority and extend the kingdom of heaven into that area and say, not on our watch, this is not happening. Because we have people that are standing for truth that are getting, they're getting the tomatoes thrown at them. So there is a battle and we are commissioned under the leadership of our authority, Christ Jesus. There is a battle. Ephesians 6.12 says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Why do we think there's not a battle going on? We look at the condition of our nation. As the church goes, so goes the nation. Why is the nation in such a mess? Because the church has been asleep. The church has been asleep. The one, the one entity in our nation that has the authority to push back darkness has been asleep. Nothing else has that authority. Nothing else can overcome the powers of darkness. And yet we were asleep. We were trying to be comfortable. We were concerned about our buildings more than we were about the people inside the buildings and the cities around our buildings. How do we do this? Jesus tells us in, in verse 19. He says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is what we see. This is authority that's given to us. We have to understand the power and the authority that we have. And we have to understand that this is one of our major weapons. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. You say, well, that sounds good. What did Jesus say when the disciple says, teach me how to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was praying the same. He was teaching them to pray this very thing. I want the will of heaven in the earth. And he said, as ecclesia, as the ones who are truly under the headship of Jesus, we have the authority through binding and loosing that we can release into the earth what is already released in heaven. And we can bind in the earth what's already bound in heaven. And that's how we pray. We can bind up this evil immorality that's going on in the streets and in our library because it's bound in heaven. Right? And God will raise up people. I sent this to somebody and they already got somebody on the city council looking at it. I said, how does this happen? How does this happen? Let's go up there next week and say, we want to have a meeting where we're going to celebrate Jesus all day and the Holy Ghost and people getting delivered from drugs and alcohol. They probably say, oh no, that would be offensive to some. I'm sorry, you can't do that. So we bind on earth what is bound already in heaven. The authority of the church is a delegated keys to the kingdom to bind and loose. We have to know who we are. We had to bind that thing last night that was tormenting. Because that thing, see, as long as we don't do that, it just has, we give it authority to rule and reign in our lives. 
What are, we, what are we inviting into our life that's inviting the enemy in? Remember last week I showed in John 14, Jesus said, the enemy's coming. He has nothing in me. Nothing in me belongs to him. He has no power over me. It's the very same principle. What's in the church that belongs to the enemy? When we're, and when we're embracing world culture, when we're embracing greed and selfishness and pride and immorality, that means the enemy has a foothold in the church. We have no authority to bind and loose at that point. This is the authority of the church, and it comes only as Jesus is given his legal right as head of the church. So what is it, when we have a question, what does the church say? I've had several people who are homosexual say, can I come to your church? I said, absolutely. We love for you to come to our church. But you're going to hear truth, but you're going to hear it in love. And we're going to give you a way out because that's not God's best for you. Would we say the same thing to somebody who says, I'm bound up in drugs. Can I come to your church? Of course you can. But we're going to tell you the truth. You don't have to be bound up in drugs and alcohol and pornography because God has a better way for you. Jesus is the figurehead, not just for pomp and circumstance, but for authority. He's not just for pomp and circumstance. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee has to bow to his name. Can you legitimately use his name? I know this crowd can. I mean, I know who you are. I know how you seek God's face. You have the authority. Ephesians 3.10, God's purpose in all this. Listen, this is, a, this is what the church is all about. The purpose of the church is to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all of the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is not talking about angels because the angels already know his rule and authority. God's purpose is that the church would reveal his wisdom to all the powers of darkness, all the principalities, and and that they would have to bow their knee to the name of Jesus. Ephesians 6, put on God's whole armor, provided for us that we would be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. The evil strategies of the accuser. See, the devil is a strategist, but Jesus is the extraordinary strategist. He's the, that's what wonderful counselor means, extraordinary strategist. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For there are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this world in bondage. Why do you think there's so much satanic, occultic influence in our media, in our entertainment, in our music? Because that in, that enemy is ruling that mountain of the media mountain, the entertainment mountain, and when he rules, his influence is going to permeate that mountain. You look in all, even the kids' things today, even the Disney stuff today, which is not it means makes you dizzy, you know. But it, there's so many occultic images that are just subliminally placed in there. Somebody, I saw this somewhere that there was a new book out about the spells. Uh, Who's the guy that the, um, what's that movie, that little kid, the lady from Harry Potter? How to, how to implement the Harry Potter spells on people. And a lot, of, a lot of parents have got their head in the sand and they're going to be, oh, this is a cute little book, let's get it for Johnny. Johnny goes to school and starts throwing out spells and hexes and all this other stuff on kids. 
maybe his teacher. We have to know who we are, guys. We got to know who we are. He said, I'm going to build my church. It's the power of God to transform cities, schools, and neighborhoods. The power of God, Acts 17, 6, it says they came into a city and they turned cities upside down. They came into cities and they turned cities upside down. Are you turning your workplace upside down? Is your home turned upside down? Do you have family members that just want to avoid you? That's because you turn their world upside down. They're not comfortable around you. They're not comfortable around you. It's the power of God to transform cities. We have the authority. Is that that little thing I wrote Friday night or Saturday, whenever it was we had prayer? Let's see here. I was reading Dutch Sheets, given 15, and he said, is there not a cause? And this is just something I just, the Lord just gave it to me, and I was typing it as he gave it. And, of course, Judge was talking about David when, you know, the brothers were making fun of him and putting him, who you think you are? You know, you're just a little runt, and here we are, this great big giant. And, and he said, is there not a cause? All I want to ask is, is there not a cause in our nation? Is there not a cause in our city? It, this is what the Lord gave me. It takes a person who, who can see past today to understand the seriousness, seriousness of the cause. A person who has vision enough to see the potential loss in the certain future if we don't do something. It takes a person who can remember to remember how the city, the nation, the family once was. What happens if we do nothing? We have to look beyond today in Concord. There's an occult store in downtown Concord, in the center of downtown Concord, called the Enchanted Kitchen. And she says she's a good witch. It's like saying I'm a good demon. There are various bars and such businesses that attract nightlife. Our public library proudly and brazenly proclaims a day dedicated to the homosexual lifestyle and agenda, and their banner says, born this way. Women care enough to want to preserve a town of righteousness, family, and biblical values. Is there not reason enough for us to pray, to seek the face of God, to repent on behalf of our city? Is there not reason enough for us to get involved in our local government, council boards, etc.? While others are living in denial and apathy and careless concern, what are we doing? While others are believing that somehow it's all going to work out, this is why we're where we're at today because, oh, it'll work out. God's in control. No, God put us in control. We talked about that last week. There are those who want to plow and who, and who expect the miracle of God to follow the plow and bless what we are doing. It's coming right out of our Tuesday night. The miracles always follow the plow. It's an A.W. Tozer quote. What if we do nothing? What if we go home and what if we don't pray? What if we're the only church who cares enough to pray, but what if we're the only church who knows how to pray? Maybe they care, but they don't know. Maybe they don't understand that they can bind and loose. I don't know anything about the churches in the city. I know some of them have pretty liberal agendas from what I can tell. We just pray for them, right? We pray how God asks us to pray. We're not all that in a bag of chips. We're everything God wants us to be, and we're going to be. But what if we don't pray? What if we're, the reason we're here is because no one else is praying for the city? No one else cares. And everybody else is saying, oh, well, you know, it'll all work out. God, it'll, you know, God's in control. And in the meantime, we have churches putting up flags all over, the rainbow flags and ordaining them. I mean, I'm not against this, but homosexuals, but I am against them infiltrating the, the, the body of Christ. 
And they're really not infiltrating it, but they're weakening it. What if? As individuals, we make disciples through the local church teaching, ministry, and outreach. See, we forget that the five-fold ministry is developmental in the church. We forget that the church should be established with governmental authority and developmental authority. The governmental authority are the elders who run the church. The five-fold ministry is the de- those who develop and make disciples. We need both of those, but one doesn't replace the other. So we have to make disciples through the local church teaching ministry outreach. As a church, we exercise spiritual authorities over the power of darkness influencing our city. We've had several dreams and visions recently of downtown in our city, the evil powers that are in our city, and that we have to take authority as a church. It is the church understanding the authority it carries as an agent of change sent by Christ Jesus to command that every power of darkness bow its knee to his name, authority, and command. In our city, there's a need. There is a need. And when the church is operating under Christ's authority, it will disrupt all illegitimate authority. When we're operating under the legitimate authority of Christ, it will disrupt all illegitimate authority. Mark 6, 17. Two more scriptures and we're going to close and worship team can come. Mark 6, 7 through 13. Jesus gathered his 12 disciples and imparted to them his authority to cast out demons. When's the last time you cast out a demon? I'm never around demons. Oh, you're around demons all the time. Don't be deceived. You're around demons all the time. Some of them are in your family members. And you better get eyes to see. He says, then he sent them out in pairs. So they went out and preached publicly that everyone should repent. See, repentance always precedes it. If you want the, the authority of God, you've got to have a repentant heart, a repentant city. That's what we pray for our city to repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And again, Acts 17, 6. These men who turned the world upside down have come here also. See, that's what I love for them to say. That church on the corner is turning our city upside down. They're not doing anything but praying. But I'm telling you, these businesses are closing right and left and others are springing up, you know. Godly businesses. I don't know that I'd want to bring my six-year-old if I had one down the streets of Concord, to be honest with you, with all that's on the streets. Demons, powers, principalities are illegitimate in the life of the believer. And if they rule, someone has given them authority. These things look, we've done so much teaching on this. How do you know if you're influenced by demonic power? Little things like, how about massive disorganization in your home? Serious spirits of oppression, anxiety, depression, confusion. These are all the work of the enemy. These are the work of the enemy. Strife, discord in a home. That's the work of the enemy. I want you to stand and I want to close by reading Psalm 24 out of the Passion Translation. Let me tell you something. God has declared Concord belongs to Him. He has declared that Concord belongs to Him. Every school in Concord belongs to God. We have declared it to be so. Every child in Concord 
belongs to God. We have declared it to be so. You think the enemy's going to just sit back and say, well, we better move out of here. <laughs> no. They're going, to, they're going to try to flex their muscles. We just have to know who we are. I want to read Psalm 24. This is out of passion. Yahweh claims the world is his. Everywhere we put our foot is ours. That's what he told Joshua in Joshua 1. Everywhere you place your foot, I've given to you. Yahweh claims the world is his. Everything and everyone belong to him. He's the one who pushed back the oceans to let the dry ground appear, planting firm foundations for the earth. Who then is allowed to ascend to the mountain of Yahweh? And who has the privilege of entering into God's holy place? Those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth. Those who never deceive, whose words are sure. These are the ones that come into the presence of God. They will receive Yahweh's blessings and righteousness given by the Savior God. They will stand before God for they seek the pleasure of God's face. The God of Jacob. This is our call. Wake up, you living gateways. Every one of us, if we're believers, we're a living gateway. Wake up, you living gateways. Lift up your head, you doorways of eternity. Welcome the King of glory for he's about to come through you. You get the believers that's in this church, in the city and on the streets in Congo, I'm telling you, it's going to be living gateways and the glory of God is going to pour through. And these places that are shouldn't be there are going to be gone. Maybe the people who get saved, that'd be even better, wouldn't it? We don't want to hurt anybody, but I tell you, I don't want them hurting my children, my grandchildren, your children or grandchildren. We've had so many dreams through the years. And it seems like recently it's really picking up about the city of Concord. Warnings, and it always involves a demonic principality over this city. You ask, who is this king of glory? Yahweh, armed and ready for battle, but are you? Are you ready for battle? First thing you got to do is get your heart clean. Got to get your heart clean. Yahweh, invincible in every way. So wake up, you living gateways, and rejoice. Fling wide, you eternal doors. Here he comes. The king of glory is ready to come in. You ask, who is this king of glory? He is Yahweh, armed and ready for battle. The mighty one, the invincible commander of heaven's host. This is Jesus he is the King of Glory. This is telling us that we are the gateway for Him to work through in our cities, in our schools, in our homes. Begin practicing it in your home. What's in your home that's keeping Jesus from being Lord of your life? An attitude, a prejudice, a sin, strife, jealousy. We told you last week, if, you, if, if things bother you, get rid of them. Get rid of the phones and the computers if there's a source where the enemy's coming into your life. Get rid of the junk. What's the value compared to the king of glory coming in? How important are our children? How important is this city? How important is it to us? You know, I was thinking also, you know, we say, well, it takes everybody. No, it doesn't. God took one man, Moses, and he delivered a whole nation. He took one man, David, little guy, with one slingshot and took down a giant. He took Ruth. He took Deborah. 
He took Esther. One person God calls on. Let me tell you, that one person will stand up and answer the call God has given. And most of the time, it's the unlikely ones. It's not the ones that are standing in pulpits. Most of the time, it's the unlikely ones. It's the ones who are willing to prepare in the secret place so they can be working in the public place. See, David learned how to kill the the giant by killing the lion and the bear. Moses was 40 years into the desert, probably pretty depressed getting ready for God to call him out. There's going to be a burning bush experience for a lot of us in here. And we need to make sure we're hearing and seeing what God is saying. Turn it on. That's better, right?